You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since All right, everybody, welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. We are back to talk about movies and movie culture and movie stuff and espressos. And I don't know how many espressos we'll talk about, but we there was definitely one had by one of us. Let's see if you can figure out which one. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, we're going back. We're going to talk Rancho Deluxe this week from 1975, a film that's kind of been hovering around us probably for a long time, really. Uh, I don't know if it was ever on a roadmap or not, but I mean, it's been recommended a bunch and really up until recently, kind of not, it's never really been hard to see, but, um, I did have the Blu-ray I bought recently and it looked pretty decent. I can't say it looked amazing, but it looked pretty decent. I'll talk more about that here in a little bit. And this is on Tubi as well. If you guys want to watch it, I noticed today that it was on Tubi to be or not to be. But it was it is on there, so a lot of stuff's on Tubi. Just check it out. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good service if you can handle the ads and stuff. It's not, it's not bad, not bad yeah. at all. Yeah, no, it's true. It's uh, yeah, I watched the Ice Cream Man on there, the the Clint Howard joint. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's a Tubi film I watched. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a good service, like you said, if you can handle the ads. Yep, you gotta handle the ads, but they're not that intrusive, I don't think. Um, all right. So you've been up to anything this week? I know you've been busy. Anything else? Busy B, man, as always. Uh, that's the way life is for us right now in terms of watching or in terms of just life. Just life. But uh, we'll get to what you've been watching here in a second. <laughs> life stuff? Mm, nothing overly exotic or exciting. You know, well, life of a suburban dad, I guess. It's, yeah. <laughs> For some solid ramen in the city and a good throwback arcade in the city. Um, there you go. I beat our oldest in Tecmo Bowl. He beat me in NBA Jam. Nice. That was a bit of a <laughs> tragedy for me. Yeah. Beat, you would say, but, you know, those are the breaks, as Curtis Bow would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way it goes, man. Yeah, man. What about you? Uh, not much. You know, working, doing Stuff like that, uh, nothing, nothing fancy, as as is always the case. 
<laughs> same old stuff working goofing off um playing around with things you know just like you say suburban dad stuff yep nothing wrong with that yeah it's, summer's coming so yeah, shooting a little bit of basketball here and there doing a you know doing the few odd errands you know just always something to do when you have kids when you're shooting basketball, I got to ask you because I like to drop this move. I love to drop this the Kareem skyhook <laughs> when I'm playing with William. I tried to teach Landon to because he's tall. Um, trying to teach him how to post up down below. He hasn't really figured that out yet, but he's getting there. So there's a little bit of hook shot stuff going on. A little bit of one-handers, turnarounds, little flip shots. You know, just the things you do. He doesn't quite un- he doesn't quite get the three second rule. He'll he'll get there though. You will get there, man. Keep your feet moving, right? It's yeah. uh, three second rule could be tricky if you're not paying attention. Big time, big time. All right. Uh, well, let's get into what we've been watching then. What have you been up to? I know you haven't watched a whole lot, but I'm sure you probably watched one or two things. Got a couple things in the mix. I'm going to break habit and talk about something TV related. Oh, okay. Yeah, talking right. about, but uh, really, all I watched was I went to we went to visit my dad. And he threw on um, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Uh, yeah. He's got a monster TV. It's just, yeah, my dad's a gadget guy, right? So um, threw that on as great as ever. I mean, I, what can we say about that? I probably see it every few years. And the scene at the end with Howard always gets me. And it, it just, yeah, I, to me, it's that and 2001 are the two greatest examples of the genre, right? It's tremendous stuff. So, yeah, it's, uh, what more can be said? Um watched a disney documentary chimpanzee oh yeah i've seen i haven't seen that but i know what you're talking about very cute it this is the most obvious statement i may make this week but i always marvel at the the similarities between us and them and again it's not such a ridiculously obvious statement but just seeing some of the the habits and the the playful Mm -hmm. nature stuff it was good i mean it's it's fascinating to see right and it, it just gives you an appreciation um nature i wish my kids i feel like when they were young they were really into that stuff but now we gotta really rope them in to watch that stuff hopefully they'll come around again yeah you know how it goes man we all we we ebb and flow we all change the truth dude yep truth uh brayden and william saw the ring both american and japanese oh yeah tried to dunk on me and call me soft because i said it was going to terrify them did none of that. <laughs> Braden, in Braden's words, it's a movie about really pale people. <laughs> it's pretty. It's a pretty good synopsis there. <laughs> so he wanted to. I said, "Well, man, Juan's pretty good. Juan Two is even better." And so he wanted to watch The Grudge. Uh, we opted for the American one because I didn't remember this. the The Japanese one. I feel like it's shot in four three. Uh, I believe it's actually shot on videotape. Maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. Which is a weird four three and on videotape. If I, it, I could be wrong, but I think I'm. I think I might be right. Maybe right. I may I be mean, wrong. Yeah, I mean Billy Joel tonight, but I, I could have been. You know, I may be wrong, and I may be right. <laughs> We're gonna wait to Allentown right now. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure. I, well, I'm a hundred percent sure it's four three. Yeah, because it looks so, and it looks small. It, that's really accentuated when you see it on. And our TV is not monster. It's about 55 inches or something. Yeah. And you I know. think he shot it on video because it kind of, um, 
helped with what he was trying to do with the scares or the the creepiness of the thing. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Whatever happened to him? Whatever? What is he doing nowadays? Shimizu? That's a good question. Um, I haven't. You know, of course, I'm going to look it up right now. So while you're talking, so well, he's still going. And look, he's still he's still going. Apparently, yeah, he made something called Oxhead Village. Well, I mean, that's a it's an interesting title. <laughs> yeah, so he's still working, but um, I watched we watched his American film, and this is a little clumsier in spots than I remember. But it's funny that they still roped in a pretty decent cast. Like you got Bill Pullman, you got Grace Zabriskie, mm, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Cruise's cousin William Mapother or William Mapother. I never yeah I say both ways, and I never know which is right. <laughs> uh, just such a weird Xerox. He's like. Um, the Jeff Blinn to who? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Merrily to he's you know, the he's the Walmart great value. Tom Cruise. He totally is. <laughs> he totally is. So no, yeah, no but, offense, William. Uh, not me. Yeah, yeah, listen, I left him on Lost, but <laughs> which is ironic because when my wife was watching Lost or Lost, watching The Grudge, she goes, "Oh my God, look, there's there's Locke." I'm like, "That's not Terry O'Quinn. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's like twenty years younger." Yeah. I, 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 I like him in most stuff he's in. He's, he's a good character actor. Good character actor. I agree. I agree. I feel like I'd like to see him and Clint Howard do something together. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of all Clint, I don't know if that was that was that was on the air. Yeah, I said that on the air. But uh, yeah, it was OK. A bit stilted in spots. Uh, I don't know. My, my kids, I, it's like I want to shake them on something, but I don't feel bad. Right. OK. You guys asked for it. There's a really good um, like a web a webcast kind of seance film I watched with William one night. It's a short, it's probably about 45 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not seance. That's the Simon Baker film. Anyway, I can't remember it now, but it's, it's really good. It's got some good jumps, but I might have to drop that on Braden and shake his trio. It's called host. Oh, really okay. fun, really fun little, um, kind of a webcast seance film really well done. So I'm going to have to shake his tree with that a bit. Cause they're just, they're dunking on me with everything I'm throwing at them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I like, uh, I like that American version. It, it's pretty good. It's, it's, solid. it's solid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's for a PG 13 horror film. It's, it's pretty solid. Has some oh, yeah. pretty good creepy moments. There are, there definitely are. Um, but the thing I wanted to talk about and hopefully my enthusiasm sticks for this, uh, because the wife and I started watching uh, Yellow Jackets. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know I know of it. I have not seen it. So was it Karen? Again, I never say her name out loud. Karen Kusama? Kusama? Karen Kusama? Kur- Kurus- yeah, yeah, it's not Kurosama because that would be too close to the Kurosawa. Sa- no, like Kursama. I believe it is Kursama. Kursama, right? Yeah, yeah. Of Jennifer's body fame and other things. Um I think she got a raw deal. I think she's a pretty solid filmmaker personally. But uh, she was involved in the creative process. I think she wrote and was one of the creators of Yellow Jackets. So we're three episodes in and we're really loving it. Yeah. It's a little really bit cool. of a Lord of the Flies and a few other things kind of mixed together. Lord of the Flies, a little lost. You get yeah, yeah. a really fun uh, Christina Ricci. Juliette Lewis is always great. They cast really well in this, the like the the teen girls to the the adults. Um, it's it's a good show, man. We're really digging it so far, and I'm curious to see where it goes. I mean, 
Ella Purnell, who's a good young actress. Uh, Sophie Nelise is good. She's Canadian. But it's it's good, man. We're digging it. I'll let you know where it goes, I guess. We don't watch a lot of TV. In fact, Teresa said, you've never wa- finished a TV show with me, just the two of us. <laughs> Say, well, what about Brookai <laughs> or Mandalorian? Well, you know, oh. I mean, truth is, man, some people are just TV people. They like that serial nature. And some people like movies i think more i don't i don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with either one uh, no no and yeah. she loves film i mean that was one of the things we we bonded over we'd go to the amc and we'd see like everything when we were just dating right like yeah. we'd see everything and and she's a good sport as i've gone on record as saying many times but she definitely enjoys watching tv a lot like she's she binges a lot of tv not binges like i make it sound i don't want to disparage the process but um <laughs> She is quite content to you know, hammer out two, three episodes and power through. Like she used to do that that Tony Collette uh, show. It's kind of like Spy, or I can't remember what it is now. But she did that recently. Like she's always just plowing through stuff. She did that ridiculous accent. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's the worst. I'm telling you, that is the worst accent. <laughs> yeah. I've ever in my life. Yeah, I mean, I knew it was bad in real life too, and people were like questioning it the whole time. But uh, I went and listened to and, a little bit of it. It's pretty rough. Else. Huh? Anything Anna maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a. It's the worst. It's it, it makes Malkovich's Russian accent and rounders <laughs> seem incredible. <laughs> he uh uh, but I like so many television shows. I mean, there's uh, there's too many films to watch. There's too much TV to watch. I just I don't ever jump on any trains. I just whatever kind of falls in my lap, I go with it. Yep, right now, no television's kind of flowing in my lap. I'm not really watching anything. So, I'll be honest. I thought of you when I was watching Yellow Jackets from the perspective of I know you tend to balance things out better than I do, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I thought about it. watching it. I just uh, just never I'll pulled the trigger. I'll where it goes. I, I, I hope it doesn't shit the bed, right? Like, no. like I said, the cast is pretty strong. Like Sophie Thatcher, shout out to her. She's great, young actress. I'm hoping it sticks the landing. Hopefully um, it will. Yeah. I've heard it does. I've heard it's pretty good, so. Well, a few friends who I really trust reached out when I like posted I was watching. Like Tanner reached out, the Tan Man. He's like, "It's so good." I was like, "Okay, well, I feel a little better about following this run through and kind of saying to my wife, see, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. watch something." So, anyway, what have you been up to, man? Uh, I watched a few things. This is uh, this is actually a bit of a cheat. I watched uh, the Life and Trials of Oscar Pistorius, which is actually about a yes. six or seven hour documentary. But I watched it over the last couple of weeks. I've been kind of squeezing it in stuff. I'd read some stuff that it was one-sided, kind of like it was favoring Oscar Pistorius. I don't think it's that. Um, I don't really know what happened that night or what transpired in Oscar Pistorius' life. There's a lot of clues to maybe his behavior and some of the things. Certainly had a very rough childhood. But it it, it is interesting in the South African culture aspect of the documentary, uh, especially the, uh, the place men uh hold in south african culture it's uh not too far removed from american macho culture which has kind of went away uh yeah. over the last uh, i don't know decade or so uh or at least has tried to go away it's still out there obviously it's always going to be there but um it's an interesting documentary but it's a commitment and i think unless you're interested in that story i don't think there's any reason to watch it um because it's it is quite long but i i did it is a documentary of questions and no answers. That's probably the best way to put it. So do you feel, and I don't know how even-handed something can be like this because it's a pretty despicable thing that he did, but it, does it handle things 
in a pretty clear-eyed way for you? Like, was it, is it a... I think so. I think so. I don't think, you know, I never, I only felt sorry for young Oscar Pistorius um because he was a kid with no legs i mean it was you know he had a he had a rough childhood and oh. so he had a you know and he, his dad was a you know a, a driven man who you know one of the reasons why he was so driven is his dad was like so many of these sports stars his dad was abusive and uh you know to make him perfect even though he was imperfect and uh you know that's always the fascinating thing to me these 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 men that you know that push so hard because uh, I can still remember my dad pushing, and I just gave him the finger and walked away. Never played sports again. <laughs> it's so sad. Yeah. It really is not to get into that tangent yeah. too much. Yeah. Because well, in, Amer- in America, it's common. In America, it's really so, common. It's, I do feel it is more. But you get that. It's bad with hockey parents, man. And oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Marriage hockey parents, because we know some great ones. But it's it's terrible. And that's why like I say to my kids all the time, listen, I'll I will push you gently. But I will cheer you on doing tap dance or finger painting as right. much as I do any touchdown or three pointer. So right. I've lived my life. This is your life. Yeah. These are these are your choices and well, I'll be your here. choices. And I can yep. tell you what I think might be best as on as objectively as I can, but you have to be happy. Ultimately, yeah. Ultimately only you will know, right? That's right. And and yeah, that that Pistorius thing, I remember being very shocked and very saddened because even though you're more cynical by nature in some regards than I am, I think when you see someone like that who did something very admirable considering the hand he was dealt, it somehow is more... It's heartbreaking. More heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, and not to say we put him on a pedestal morally or, or otherwise, but... No. Nobody wins. Nobody... So that's what I'll say. This documentary, nobody wins... I don't think you come out of it feeling sorry for Pistorius or anything else. I think it's just more of an interesting look at, I didn't really know South Africa as African culture was, had such a heavy gun culture. I just didn't really know that. And big time. Very fascinating, you know, because living as an American, um, even if you don't own a gun, you own a gun because that's the way people see Americans. I can tell you right now, there's very few guns that I see hardly ever, but there are lots of people who have guns, and uh, there's probably more uh, guns. Uh, there's probably more kids with guns than there are adults with guns at this point. But, and I mean, it's just the way things have come. You know, the people throw guns away. They drive by and throw them in ditches. Kids find them, and, you know, kids got guns. You serious? People do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, all the time. Yeah, we, we could probably go down to any creek in the country and probably find some kind of gun. Now, will it work again? I don't know. But we could probably find some guns. I've, I've, I found a lot of them growing up, so you, you can find them. <laughs> That's what always kind of makes me laugh is when people say that they're more available now. And, uh, they were just as available when I was a kid. I don't think it's the guns that are the problem. So, But that's just me. But I didn't know South Africa was just, uh, you know, this enamored with this kind of macho gun driven culture, kind of gangster, quote unquote, gangsta and all that stuff that kind of goes with that. And uh, so it's kind of interesting. It was kind of interesting in that aspect. And again, there's no winners. There's no winners in a tragedy like that. So, uh, no, I don't, you know, have any emotions or feelings toward Oscar Pistorius except the fact that he, you know, he made a big mistake. Uh, there's an interesting argument he makes, which I didn't watch the trial or any of that stuff. So I kind of cut this off at here because if anybody wants to watch it, they can. He makes an interesting argument, um, but I never felt like it was genuine for the for the record. 
it felt very disingenuous. So I don't know if you're interested in that kind of thing, check it out. Um, there is still some good moments in the documentary, you know, and some good moments with other para athletes and things like that. And there's, there's some good stuff in there, but unfortunately, nice. you know, it's, it's a dark story. So you gotta be ready for that. Sure. Uh, let's see what else I watched. I watched a few other things. I checked out WeWork or the making and breaking of a forty-seven billion dollar unicorn. Now that's a mouthful of a title there. <laughs> so WeWork was this uh, company that was created by this gentleman who came in from Israel. A uh, bunch of smoke and mirrors. It went from uh, I don't know twenty million dollar value to forty-seven billion dollars in like I don't know six months or some crazy thing. And it was all about community and all these things and speculation, speculation market, speculation things. And then it all just kind of fell apart. So it's kind of interesting watching this guy tap dance his way through what he knows is going to fall apart. Um, but it's probably not for everybody. Um, I just thought it was interesting. I know there's a Jared Leto Apple TV show about this uh, same subject. And uh, Leto's doing one of his accents, which is interesting wow. so I, I might have to check it out at some point but it's i thought it was a movie i was kind of looking forward to it because i thought it was a film with him and anna hathaway but it's another tv show so i was like well it's going to go on the back burner because i got to commit to a tv show <laughs> so like all tv shows for me i'll i'll whatever i decide to watch i'll hit play and and go through that one show uh because i don't really like like we used to talk about i don't really watch multiple shows i just don't have time i mean who does right that's the truth, man. Uh, Landon and I did a rewatch of The Dark Knight, which uh, he enjoyed. I enjoyed it, too, but I got to say, you know, I think a couple weeks ago we talked about this with the Batman film, and I said that Dark Knight was up there. I don't know if it is anymore. This movie's kind of goofy in some ways. I never really remembered how goofy it was. I remember thinking it was very serious, but it's actually kind of the opposite in some ways. <laughs> and I was kind of surprised by that. And Christian Bale's Batman is so over the top that uh I, I know it's crazy it's crazy like i can't even watch it anymore without laughing the whole time he's talking and it, it's it's kind of embarrassing um uh ledger's still great no doubt about that and oldman's great and and a lot of people in the movie are great and the film's well made don't get me wrong it's it's a, still a gorgeous looking movie but i also forgot how much of it's shot in daylight like it's a daylight movie right whereas the new batman's a nighttime movie it's never daylight so well i guess it is for a little while but it's always raining or it's kind of gloomy. So, but yeah, I've forgotten how much of this film was actually shot during the day, which is kind of interesting to kind of go back and look at. But after that conversation we had, I would say probably that Pattinson uh, Reeves Batman may move above this. So uh, yeah, I'd have this, to revisit it and then check it out. So this is a gold standard for a lot of people. Um, yeah. I know some people are really beholden to the, the Burton Keaton one, but I have to say that, the further I get away from that, I, I admire it for what it is. What it is, I admire the production design, but yeah, the, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, I think Bale's voice. The more I think about it, <laughs> even though it was pointed out then, like it's, it's been kind of poked. It, the voice does not age well. No, time has done it no favors. No, time has actually made it worse. It was funny then; it's unbelievable now. It, that a filmmaker and actor of that caliber could allow that. Yeah. It's interesting. It was an interesting choice. Let's put it that way. But, you know, I'm sure there's people out there that can argue that they love it, and that's fine. That's great. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I can't get it. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty funny. Um, and, of course, the test of time is, you know, young kids. Uh, you know, my son watching it, he was just kind of laughing at it, and I didn't say anything. I was just kind of waiting to see what he would say. And he's like, why is he talking like that? He did that in the first movie a little bit, but not, not as much as he's doing it in this movie. 
And I was like, well, that's just the way he decided to do it. And I was like, if we watch the third one, you'll see he keeps doing it. <laughs> it's funny that kids sometimes, I think we accept things for what they are, cinematically or otherwise, uh-huh. and sometimes for their clear eyes to cut through the shit and, and card yeah. the performance for what it is. Yeah. So, it's still a it's still a very well made movie and still very pretty to look at, no doubt. Absolutely. Um, but it, it certainly has its problems that uh, I didn't anticipate on a rewatch. Um, so there you go. That that's that. And then uh, what else did I watch? I did a rewatch Street Fighter. I watched that because uh, Brad and Troy they did an episode. They wanted me to come on to talk about JCVD, uh, and they were doing that, and and I came on there, and then Jose popped up on there as well. Good friend of the show and. Good friend all around, Jose, who I know you know as well. And uh, we all four did that last night. And it was a marathon because trying to keep us quiet about Jean-Claude Van Damme films was next to impossible. And uh, so check that out. That'll When you hear this, it'll already be out. So if you haven't listened to it, check it out. Um, I mean, I don't need to say anything about that because you can go back and listen to our episode and hear us talk about it. I was going to. But you know me, man. I can't listen to myself, so I, I didn't go back and listen to it. <laughs> so it's so strange. I know psychological uh, break in my brain somewhere. Um, the only other thing I watched was No Exit. So this is a little like one set type of uh, horror film, suspense film. Um, I kind of thought I knew what I was in for, but there's a couple twists in this movie, and uh, I will not say too much in case anybody wants to check it out. It's a pretty decent little thriller. Um, it's not bad. It's basically about this girl who breaks out of rehab to go see her mom who's dying in the hospital, uh, steals a car, ends up stranded in kind of a blizzard situation somewhere, I don't know, probably somewhere Colorado, somewhere like that, Midwest, Mid-North. And uh, she has to stop at a rest stop, and there's four or five other people in this rest stop, and some things transpire, and I'll just leave it at that. So it's nothing unique. It's probably something you think you've seen before, but the twists are, are nice. Uh, they're pretty good, I got to say. film's a little overlong for what it is, but it's it, it's a, it, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was. I mean, it's not amazing, but it's certainly a nice, breezy kind of B-movie. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's it. That's all we uh, watched. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk about Rancho Deluxe from 1975. So we'll be back right after this. <laughs> Yeah, we got 
All right. How about that? I didn't know if I'd ever played Jimmy Buffett on our show, but I guess I have. I was just about to say the same thing. And you know what, man? He does a pretty good job with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, early Jimmy Buffett's pretty good. Uh, Post-Margaritaville, not so much. But uh, that's just my opinion. I'm sure there might be some parrot heads who listen here. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's some parrot heads out there. No doubt. No doubt. They love that whole culture thing. I'm just going to give you guys, you parrot heads, a... I might crush your bubble a little bit. Jimmy Pratt Buffett is really not like his music is. He's kind of a corporate dude. <laughs> but he sure does sell that stuff to people pretty well. Mm-hmm. He's actually the complete opposite, and he's very rich. <laughs> One of the richest musicians in the world. A lot of people don't even know that. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, man, he sells that Hawaiian shirt and laid-back Margaritaville stuff, don't he? Oh, he sure does. <laughs> so there's like There's restaurants or like bars oh, yeah. called like universal studios and- oh yeah 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 he sells it he's a he's a he's a corporate shill but hey you know good for him he's made a living uh rancho deluxe 1975 uh rated r uh which i i can understand why uh there's at least one scene that makes cool. sense why it is yeah uh and there is some some animal violence here so those who are kind of um sensitive to that may want to if you haven't seen it you may just want to be prepared um there's some legit animal violence and at least one scene i can think of with a buffalo rifle i mean perry's no lena vertmuller but no 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 it's not that level uh that would be a harsh one that's that was a strong warning <laughs> this is uh this is different um but the cow does kind of fall the same way uh yeah. because you know dies instantly or whatever um, so, you know, if you're sensitive to those things, I just want to warn you. I don't want to be that jerk that says, Hey, check this movie out and, you know, find out that you abhor animal violence and then you hate me for life. Um, it's not tied to the plot. So I feel like we can warn folks. Agreed. All right. Um, what we got here? Um, this movie has, like I said, Frank Perry directed this. Now, Frank Perry has been on the show before with the swimmer. And Frank Perry's got an interesting filmography. He's an interesting guy. Uh, a guy who I just found out recently is actually the the great uncle of Katy Perry, which I didn't even know that until just recently, which is, of course, looking at his face, I can totally see it. But uh, I never knew that until just like two or three days ago. <laughs> so that, that was kind of an interesting kind of out of nowhere uh, piece of trivia. Uh, but he uh, directed a few films in the 70s and the late 60s. Uh, some consider him a genius. Some consider him interesting. I consider him a little bit of both. Yeah, I, I would agree. I yeah. think he's when he hits, he really hits. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I, I might take it a step further than you. I think he's one of the most underappreciated, underappreciated American filmmakers. Mm. Like when you, we talk about really great American filmmakers, Maybe not great, very, very good, and has a wonderfully interesting and diverse filmography. Um, David and Lisa, right from the get-go. I remember seeing that a few years ago. It was on, I don't know if TCM or Criterion. That's a pretty interesting one. Um, The Swimmer, of course, we covered just might be his finest hour. Yeah. Uh, What's the one played as it lays? Did did we cover um, Missouri Breaks on the show? I feel like we did. Uh, No. No, we never have. Did he direct Missouri Breaks or did he write it? I think he just, I don't think he directed it because I think, didn't Marlon Brando end up direct or wasn't it uh, Arthur Penn? 
or somebody like that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Is that's a good one? Yeah, yeah, that's a bizarre one in some ways. <laughs> but that's what I mean. He makes these really almost all of his films. Yeah, very bizarre, and not in a not in a willfully kind of I'm going to be kooky way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Just he deals with outsiders and outcasts and people that are kind of willful. Missed or outcast in society. Yeah. Um, well, he deals with relationships is really what I think of when I think of him. He mostly deals with relationships, either between uh, mother and daughter, or father and son, or friend and friend. Now, most you, you could you could argue most films deal with relationships, but I think relationships are central to his movies, maybe even more so than plot. Yeah, oh, I, I think so. I think, and as we'll talk about with this one, as we're going to hear you talk, start with it, because I picked it. I, you know, uh, I think that he's always been more interested in mood and relationships than uh, plot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I picked this one as you said. It's been on our roadmap for a long time, uh, or at least talked about. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing it, and many moons ago, before it ever got a Blu-ray release. And being just kind of quietly impressed with it, uh, specifically with a few other with the performances, but one in particular we'll talk about here. So let's uh, let's get into it, man. I, had you seen this one before? I can't remember if you had. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen this before. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was uh, when I was growing up. It was on cable every now and then. I didn't quite get it back then. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a movie for kids and when i say that i'm not talking about the content in the film so much i'm just talking about it's an odd it has an odd tone kind of um cohen brothers before cohen brothers maybe not that obtuse but certainly some element of that I is here think it's a pretty accurate yeah uh, yeah maybe not as like i said you know the cohen brothers can be pretty arch sometimes right and but this is a very 70s film oh yeah it's so not content to just tread water in its own way right yeah. and just kind of stay where it is in the stream and be kind of rudderless you know in that way that some 70s films do they're just they're rudderless but that doesn't mean they're inert or boring they just they're content to take their time mm-hmm. I th- well i think it's very 70s in the way that it is dealing with complicated characters so again we've talked about this over the years mm-hmm. and we've talked about it recently what people forget about the 70s what made the 70s so great cinematically was that people were telling stories about characters that you didn't want to hang out with about characters that you probably would never be caught dead with uh bad people uh misanthropes possibly people who had issues but also good people who just made bad decisions you think about movies nowadays there's certainly still movies being made like that that's not like it's stopped but if you think about the big movies, because things have to sell worldwide so much, there's always a very strong black and white tangent nowadays, in my opinion. Yeah, um, because you end up, I think that the lack of nuance comes from people overcorrecting morality or perceived morality or perceived positions on morality for fear of a an online backlash. Yeah. There's that, and then there's also the there's so many the stakes are so high oh. that they don't want to lose any money. Well, they they are, and we don't get mid. But as we've talked about, it doesn't feel 
the mid-budget films are a lot of these these good TV shows now, or <laughs> yeah. some films. But yeah, a lot of the the good actors and and you know good directors are working in in TV, as we've said. So it's it's interesting. Something like this is is very much of its time, and I think one thing Perry does really really brilliantly in this. Or not, maybe not brilliantly, but I think one of the biggest things with this is uh, a commentary on America and the, the and my house is loud as always, uh, the, the gap, the generation gap, right, between the young generation uh, that was growing up in that time and their parents and they divide, they, they use the iconography of, of the, the American West. Uh-huh cowboy and how Perry kind of turns on his ear and you get the counterculture uh, clashing with more traditional American values through the prism of the American West and and the iconography of the cowboy for me. So there is an element to the story. So you have the Clifton James character, John Brown and Cora Brown, Elizabeth Ashley. You have these two characters who were city folk that have moved to the West and created a cattle ranch. They used to own hair salons. Um, So you got misplaced cowboys. You got Sam Waterson, who is a, at least part Indian. Um, Hard to buy that in this film, by the way, I should just say that, but he, he does a good job. I think, yeah, he does a good job. And I thankfully Perry and everyone involved, like this, the performance ages as well as it could considering the casting, right? Like there's no gross caricatures or, no, uh, bumbling yet well-intentioned stuff. Like it's all, it's all played, I think, reasonably well. No, as close as it comes is probably Joe Spinell's hat. Yeah, <laughs> which is questionable at one point. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> and the fact that Joe Spinell is playing Sam Waterson's dad, which you know, again, you know, it is what it is. Spinell's great in this. He's he's just a, it's just a little part, but he's got one of the best lines in the movie because uh, he's talking about the elements that I'm getting ready to talk about here, which is you have these ne'er do wells, these people who come from something. Sam Waterson's character is not one, but Jeff Bridges' Jack McKee character is a maybe a trust fund kid, maybe certainly a kid who comes from money. He moves out west to be free to basically be an outlaw, uh, live away from the law and things like that. And basically be a bad person because that's what he is. Um, I don't think there's anything really super redemptive about him in the film. And again, this is seventies movies. Uh, the, the, you know, these are, these are not good guys. They're, they're rustlers, they're cow thieves, um, and they're doing bad things. Yeah. The only difference is, is that they levy it like seventies films do with even more greedy or worse people. Um, so you don't, you don't get these, this black and white, you just get shades of gray. You definitely do. These guys in most movies nowadays, these guys would be the villains, but we're given worse people. Mm -hmm. At least these guys seem to have some personality and the other ones are just cowboy capitalism, right? Yeah. And what's interesting is there's another pair, Richard Bright and Harry Dean Stanton. And of course, Harry Dean Stanton, most people will know, great character actor. Richard Bright, most people may not know, but he's also a great character actor, been in a ton of stuff probably most remembered for modern audiences for playing the old man that hangs out with Dennis Leary in the riff that movie. Uh, and as always, Dennis Leary's kind of always picking on him. Uh, he has a lot of the funny bits in the riff. So that's probably what he's known for from most people in the modern generation, but he's been around forever. Uh, and you know, and then you get slim Pickens and Charlene Dallas in here and some other folks, Patty Darvinville and 
Um, I think what we, we talked about Spinell. I feel like there was somebody else. Jimmy Buffett pops up at some point, yeah, kind of playing this kind of this kind of redneck country music that Jimmy Buffett kind of started out playing. He kind of played this stuff where he would. It was almost like uh, when hip hop started pushing buttons with profanity, or when heavy metal started pushing buttons with darker stuff and everything else. Well, Jimmy Buffett was he was part of that precursor of that kind of rebel country thing. Again, most people don't know that now, but this is what you know he kind of made his i mean he's essentially without the rapping he's essentially a kid rock figure um which is funny to me when people make fun of kid rock and then they turn around and listen to jimmy buffett album so uh <laughs> it's like uh, excuse me or even bob Seger, because i mean the, a lot of kid rock stuff sounds like bob Seger stuff to me um bob Seger does it better but it just still sounds the same in a lot of ways because he's riffing on Seger all the time he's totally yeah yeah he's riffing on him big time and then of course he riffs into hip-hop and stuff but the again want to be cowboy it's funny i mentioned kid rock because again there was a song right where he says i'm a cowboy baby or whatever it is so it's funny that i bring that up i didn't even realize that there was a tie-in to this movie in some way maybe kid rock saw rancho deluxe way too young (laughs) and he wanted to be a cowboy i don't know um but i think it's interesting because slim pickens is clearly a cowboy um and dean stanton and richard bright they're semi-cowboys but they're more ranch hands there's some yeah. alluded to stuff with Elizabeth Ashley's character. She's kind of the lonely wife, the Clifton James character. And by the way, Clifton James, great character actor, usually always plays some kind of overweight, ugly, kind of white middle class or upper middle class male. Bit of a blowhard. And yeah. you know what he feels like he's riffing on in this? And I don't know. I guess this actually would be first, wouldn't it? It feels like Jackie Gleason's uh, Smoking the Bandit performance. Maybe a little, yeah, a little, little bit, more yeah. down, but yeah. Cousins. That guy lived a long time, man. He lived up until, uh, well, 2017. He's 96 when he passed away. Wow. Made a long way. Pretty good for a guy that uh, chewed tobacco all the time. (laughs) He's he's really fun in the film. He is. He is. His career started back in 1954, and he worked up until Superman 2 with Richard Donner, and then he retired. So, uh, and he's, Jesus. I mean, I'm not even going to go through his filmography because it'd be ridiculous. Lots yeah. of stuff we would like, lots of stuff that's just... Tons you know, of stuff, yeah. James yeah. Bond films, you name it. Just tons yeah. of stuff. If you don't know his name, you definitely know his face and his delivery. Yeah. Uh, again, this is another good performance from Joe Spinell, showing that he can do more than just the horror or the creepy character in a movie. Uh, here he's kind of a... He is a dad. And he, uh, for me, he has one of the best lines because he's talking about this wannabe cowboy culture and one of the things he says is so poignant because this still exists to this day. And that is this pickup truck debt, this, this, this wonderful world. So here in Kentucky, people will spend a hundred to $180,000 on a pickup truck. 180,000. Yeah. I got a friend I work with. Doesn't make very much money. His pickup truck was $167,000. Does he drive? I don't even want to get into it. It might read too much detail. So I don't want to get to say, but he just buys, you know, it's a big dually, big monster truck. Again, in Kentucky, you know, you're putting pipes out the back. You're blowing black smoke. You're doing all that stuff. My Larry, it's not enough, I guess. (laughs) No, no. And I've even went away from pickup. Pickup trucks are so overpriced here that I won't even buy one now. Um, Because like a base price pickup truck here is like 60 grand. So that, and that's, that's with hardly any options. So, <laughs> but, but but this is a very telling, timely, timeless, 
yes. moment in the film, like you just said, yeah. right? Like yeah. Spinell talks about this, and that was one of the big takeaways I had from this film. And I almost picked this film based solely on the strength that I wanted to talk about Spinell's moment. And it's funny because I remembered him having a, a bigger, not a big role, but a bigger role, and that scene being longer uh-huh. because it's such a tender, kind of a heartbreaking moment. It is. Uh, I mean, he's warning his son, Cecil, played by Sam Watterson, yep. that this whole state is ate up a pickup truck debt. And it sounds kind of silly to say it out loud, but if you think about it and you think about this people who want to be part of a culture, who will go to the ends of the earth to be part of something like this and overspend. Now, there's people out there that do it the right way. I'm not going to sit here and badmouth everybody. Please. No, no, yeah. no, 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 nobody, no not. If anybody does this and they're doing it responsibly, awesome. I'd love to pack up everything and go ride some horses for the rest of my life. I'd be very happy with that. Um, but I can't say for sure that I wouldn't fall into the death trap that is all of the branding that comes around it. Now, they don't mention brands by name here, but I think what this movie is really trying to identify is not only the countercultural trying to find its way, which I think is a very valid point that you brought up, but I also think that it's showing us the corporate culture that's right around the bend. Yes, that's a good point because not only is it the the push and pull between the two generations, but it does foretell that even with something as traditional and as as historically tied in as the American West and the Wild West, right? Like um it yeah, it does. What was I gonna say? I was gonna piggyback on something you said. Oh, just before you get off the spinel thing. The thing that I also feel adds a lot of emotional weight to that is Spinell talking about this as an indigenous an indigenous man, right? Like as a father of of you know coming from uh, an area of poverty and lamenting uh, what is done to his community and and above above and beyond his community, but the the, the whole the state, like mm-hmm. he says, right? It's just uh, yeah, and then to foretell what's to come like the the reagan era mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is what 74 75 74 i mean so it's probably it's shot in 74 still, so yeah it's still a ways away from that yet it foretells that yeah it was well. coming though i mean if you think about the 70s it was a mixed time people there were still hippies hanging on there was the free love era uh disco and stuff and people were starting to go to college and be successful and those people would turn into the 80s quote-unquote yuppies and you know Big house, white picket fence, two and a half kids, big pickup truck if you live in Montana, evidently. And, you know, I think Thomas McGuane, who we didn't mention yet, uh, but he's the writer here. And we, we've done a Thomas McGuane film before. He actually directed one film. Yep. 92 in the Shade, right? It was 92 in the Shade? It was. And maybe that's where I was getting mixed up was we had done things that McGuane had written before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It might be. Um, but McGuane is an interesting writer because he kind of foretells some of that stuff, too. He's kind of like he... He kind of sees that stuff coming as well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his writing is kind of like that to me. I mean, the tagline to this movie, I wanted to write it down because I wanted to make sure everybody knew that this isn't something that we're coming up with on the fly here. It says, oh, give me a home with a low interest loan, a cowgirl and two pickup trucks, a color TV, all the beer should be free. And that man is Rancho Deluxe. That's the tagline to this movie. And doesn't that tie in nicely with some of the things that are touched on in the swimmer. Yes, right. it does. Because the swimmer is dealing with social stature as well, right? Absolutely. It is the swimming pools, the class, the, mm-hmm. 
the the subtle but very present, very aware uh, arms race among the class. Yes. And that's that if, if if I when I think of Frank Perry to kind of loop this all back in, I think most of his films are about that kind of thing, about how I mean, even if you look at something that's as over the top as Mommy Dearest is, it's still a class film. It's still a young girl who's abused by her mother because the mother has the power and she is of a lower class in the mother's eyes. But if you look at some of his other films, Man on a Swing and um, Ladybug, Ladybug and all these other films, the class is in there. In just about all these films. And I think that's why Frank Perry's films have resurged or at least tried to resurge. He's not a, I would not call him a fancy filmmaker. Um, there's a style, but it's not overtly stylish. Would you agree with that? I wouldn't say his films are overtly stylish. I would agree with you. When you look at his filmography on the whole, you see things thematically and things that he's interesting and touching on and not in a heavy handed way in his own sort of quirky relaxed way um but i i think you know when i was watching this film here's what i'll say i was watching the blu-ray the vinegar syndrome well fun city editions put out this this through vinegar syndrome Mm -hmm. and i'm watching it and it's pretty good i haven't listened to the commentary track or anything i watched the interview with thomas mcguayne the interview with jeff bridges on there and their covid interviews there's going to be this whole era of bonus features on blu-rays and stuff that are covid interviews it's going to be very interesting to look back on this stuff uh, you know, which I mean, there's Zoom meetings or people are wearing masks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm watching this stuff and and I watched I'd already watched the film, rewatched the film. I hadn't seen it in a long time, so I'm rewatching the movie. And I think to myself, you know, what is this movie really about? You know, we've kind of talked about it and everything else. So I think for me, kind of wrapping it all up, it's really kind of about the the sadness of wanting the ideal American life. And striving for the ideal American life. And, and the ability of, of how elusive it is, right? Yeah, yeah. And how elusive it can be. And it's definitely a post-Vietnam film, right? Oh, yeah. I don't want to get into too much detail about that and sound like I'm a highfalutin film critic because I'm not. I'm just a guy who loves movies. But you certainly get the disappointment here. Now, I will say this. They end the movie. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to give away. But they end the movie as happily as they can which is actually kind of funny and kind of sweet for what it is. And there is a really nice twist here. So if you've never seen this film, I'm not going to give it away, obviously. I'm not even going to tell you who the twist involves or none of that stuff. Um, But it's really nice. It's really well done. And uh, it's still probably one of my favorite parts about the film, other than the Spinel scene and the Pong scene. So the Pong scene is pretty amazing. (laughs) Yeah. First of all, you get a, a really nice long look at Pong, mm-hmm. but you get Jeff Bridges and Harry Dean Stanton kind of going at each other, and it's as yeah, and at at Pong and acting wise, and it's as good as De Niro and Pacino and Heat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like these are two master actors. Jeff Bridges early in his career, Stanton still kind of early because he lives so long, but already kind of established as a character actor. These guys are just having the time of their lives. One of the things I will say about this movie is this is another reminder to me how great 70s acting was. We didn't have to rely on a lot of things we have to rely on now to get points across. So these guys are doing a lot of stuff through their wants, through their needs, through their the drive of the characters themselves. And it's very smart of Frank Perry to make the Harry Dean Stanton and the Richard Bright character just as interesting as the Jeff Bridges and... um 
uh, Sam Waterson character, in my opinion. I don't know how you felt, but I felt like both. I felt like they were two sets of guys looking for the same dream, but kind of going about it a different way. If that yeah, makes sense, I, I, it totally does, and that's commentary in and of itself. It's a bit of a yeah, a rushing nesting doll of observation on approaches people take. Yeah, right? yeah. It's it's a really solid movie if you haven't seen it, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who haven't. To be honest with you, it seems to be one of those movies that over the years has really been underseen uh, yeah. for whatever reason, availability, uh, maybe I don't know. Jeff Bridges did some really good stuff in the '70s. He did, and uh, he really is. If you go back and look at his filmography in the '70s up into the early '80s, uh, he was really taking risk. I'm really amazed at how many risks he took. I agree with you completely. And yeah, that, his filmography through that era, I mean, it just bang, 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 bang. It's incredible. Yeah. Look back at what he was doing. It, you know, you, I know you guys talked about Winter Kills on the show. I wanted to be part of that episode. Yeah. Um, Which again is a, just a truly outright original movie. Absolutely. It, it has some weird things about it. And Todd and I kind of discussed it, but. You can't knock it for its originality. It's totally original. Chimino with Heaven's Gate, Cutter's Way. Oh, yeah, which uh, we did talk about a long time ago. Hey, listen, big ups to the voice of the show herself. Yeah, Fair yeah. Of that one. Uh, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, a way back playback on our show. Mm -hmm. Lolly Madonna, Triple uh, X, another way back playback on our show. Last Picture Show, he's, Fat City. Yeah, he's as important to 70s cinema we sometimes forget this he's as important to 70s cinema as al pacino robert de niro those guys those guys we think of that are synonymous with the 70s martin scorsese and these guys jeff bridges is in that group like he is that important to american cinema history in the 100 he is yeah and i think we often forget about that and that's why even like jack nicholson as much as his stuff in the 80s is looked up he, again Really interesting 70s work, and yep, we get yep. so hung up on Pacino and De Niro. And I'm not disparaging that one. I know sure, you're not. Sure, but sure. Let's not forget, you know, in your Duvals and your Hackmans, there was quite the class of actor. Uh, Roy Shatter. I mean, this the actors were different. Shatter, they were, man. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be nostalgic, but it's just, I think that acting was looked upon differently. Now it's it's much more, again, I hate to say this and sound like a broken record, but it's much more about a brand. I can't tell you that anything I've seen Tom Holland in, including Uncharted, which is a newer Tom Holland film, that I didn't think of Spider-Man the whole time I'm watching it. And I can't thank you, tell, tell you, thank you, but I'll thank you anyway. But I can't tell you how often I see Robert Downey Jr. post Iron Man, and all I can think about is Tony Stark. And I think that this, and I'm not bagging on comic book movies here i'm bagging on branding uh, this is for me part of the problem with this stuff is those people will always be those people it's great for them they make a great career out of it and everything else but it's going to take them forever to work out of that idiom if that makes sense it's just going to oh, take man. forever for them to work outside of it and i don't know i don't know if some of them will ever escape it no they won't but again i think we're in an age where there's a corporate branding going on right with with film stars and with the stay as we talked about the stakes being what they are mm -hmm. um they want to hit on it and if it means they have to brand and condition us to accept the brand the actor as brand 
Right. That's what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's been around. Don't get me wrong. It was in the 80s. Schwarzenegger was a brand. Stallone was a brand. It's not like it's new. It's just that uh, we've taken it to the nth degree, I think. And I, I, I kind of, good thing is they're still independent movies. That's what I'll say. They're still independent films. There's still people out there trying to do the right thing. And there's still people out there telling stories. And as long as we got that, you know, I only need a handful of those every year to remind me that there's still a lot of talented people out there telling stories. So, um, but yeah, I don't have anything else to say. I just, I, I was watching this and I was like, yeah, I like this. It's pretty good. It's pretty decent. Kind of hovered in a certain territory. But then when I get to the end of it and stuff, not just because of the twist of the story, but the film itself, it just reminds me of how deep 70s movies are that on the surface they're one thing but underneath it all they're commentaries of some other nature because the 70s were a very political decade so it's very very interesting very interesting stuff you had an arm's reach distance between the volatility of the 60s in america and the civil rights and women's Mm -hmm. lib and the sexual revolution and you could separate yourself by a few years and be very clear-eyed in what was happening and then you got watergate vietnam still dragging on the um, the the oil crisis. I mean, just so many things happening. It was a very tumultuous time, right? And it's reflected yeah. wonderfully in films that even if on the surface they're one thing, but then they get you with something that you're like, aha. Yeah, and also we we I should just say for the record, just to make sure I get you. You might say something, but maybe one of the longest and most awkward sex scenes. Patty Darbinville okay. really goes for it here, and it's it's awkward. <laughs> it is an awkward sex. <laughs> it really is, man. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> That's all I got, man. Okay, so I'll just touch on a few things quickly. You mentioned the cast, great cast. Hey, let's give a shout out to our boy, Kentucky's own Warren Oates, uncredited as a harmonica player. I <laughs> yeah. Think. yeah, yeah, Thomas McGuane's in there too. I didn't mention that, but yeah, if you look close, and it's not too hard to spot him because you'll see him and you'll be like, I think that's Warren Oates, and you're, you'll be right. It's Warren Oates. That is Oatesy, yeah. Uh, United Artists, what a shame that they didn't, you know, they couldn't keep going, right? Yeah. Uh, really too bad. Um, I love, I think the script for this is is wonderful and it's, it's a confident script that all, the entire cast is in on it. Like it feels like one of those films where everyone got the memo. They all brought the appropriate energy. There's a certain clear-eyed kind of wit and absurdity to things. And it's very observational. Like some of the lines, like it's just such a throwaway line, but I really love the line. And it sort of establishes a bit of the relationship with Watterson and Bridges, who have excellent chemistry together. Yes. They really feel lived in and comfortable together. And it makes me lament for more Sam Watterson. Right. Like he's not a sexy name in film acting, but it's almost like him and um, John Hurd belong in the same kind of. Yeah. (laughs) Poor guys got kind of and I poor guys, they had good gigs working, but I just feel like both of them worked in the 70s and they both kind of were. um, Yeah. the, The TV bin or the 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 film dad bin. Yeah. Well, Hurd kind of became film dad. Yeah, and Waterson, I guess he did some film dad stuff. But what I every time I see Sam Waterson, all I can think about is Law and Order. Or Law and Order, I mean Law and Order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, That's what I mean. Like they just they got kind of roped into things, and they weren't given a chance to kind of flap their wings creatively. And I think they both had something more to say. Yeah. 
Um, but I love the line when Bridges and Waterston are in the truck and they're trying to, they're pondering about what to do about something. And, uh, one of them says, let's flip a coin. And then Waterston <laughs> goes, let's just decide. <laughs> yeah. just, yeah. Those lines, I really loved it. Well, it's a, again, it's a nice transition moment, almost like the hippie chants of the 60s. And Waterston's like, man, this ain't the 60s anymore. Let's just make a, let's just make a decision to stick with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Montana looks really great. We don't get a lot of Montana set films. No, and, no. And, you know, Fraker, William Fraker shot this. Yeah. Shoots it beautifully. Who oddly also shot Street Fighter. Can you believe that? I watched two films this week, both shot by William Fraker. Fraker is a fantastic DOP. Bullet, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, yeah. Um, too many to name. Too many. On and on and on. You know, really good, uh, Really good DOP, right? You know, um, but it, it, he takes advantage of um, of Montana and the expanse of Montana. He's right. actually uh, he's just to tease everyone here, uh, man. Sharky's machine. He's going to be. He shot a film that we're going to be covering coming down the pipeline in a little while. Looking for Mister Goodfire. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Gator, killer inside me. Anyway, on and on and on. Um, but he shoots it beautifully. Uh, he really takes advantage of it. Um, I mentioned this earlier. I love the kind of sly commentary on the traditional cowboy way and and the American way and sort of the new way and how those the clash of of generate the generational clash, right? And like you said, what was what it was foretelling? Um, we get an awkward yodeling sex scene, which we've touched on. <laughs> uh, now. Uh. If you've ever wanted to see a young Jeff Bridges wearing nothing but a Clifford the Big Red Dog mask as his dick flaps in the wind while he runs through the woods, yeah, this is your film. Yes. This yes. is your film. Definitely a very nude Jeff Bridges, no doubt. Very, very nude. Uh, what else do we got? Clifton James we talked about. We talked about Elizabeth Ashley. She's, you know, she's pretty sexy in this. She kind of feels like the sexy southern sister of Margot Kidder. Uh yeah, she uh she worked with Burt Reynolds quite a bit. After a while, but yeah, she uh yeah, man, I've always I always love when she pops up. She's got a kind of sexy sultriness. She does. She does. How about Sam Watterson steady rocking the Arby's cowboy hat? Man, that so that hat doesn't work on everybody. He somehow He pulls it off. He pulls it off, and that's no small feat. That is not because that hat is if I put that on, you're going to think of Arby's. I'm going to think of Arby's. I'm thinking of Arby's right now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, he's got the, the roast beef hat here. But he rocks it, and he does it well. He does. And, again, not just any man pull off the Arby's hat. Um, Spinel, we talked about. Uh, how about this? When they're at the brothel. And I can't remember it now if it was Harry Dean Stanton or someone. They talk about lamenting that the old Hershey Highway has been canceled. <laughs> they wanted to go there for anal and no dice. <laughs> yeah, but he, they still managed to buy every woman, and and uh, it's very it's a very, it's a very misogynistic moment, but it's very much of its time, right? So it is very much. It is very much, and. We get to see, moments later, we get to see Harry Dean Stanton get his nipple suckled, which made me feel moderately awkward. Um, yeah, 
I, I must have blocked it out, but I remember it. But I got to tell you, <laughs> I don't know. I think I could have lived my life without seeing that. I love Harry Dean Stanton. He's a treasure. He is. But it feels like seeing your grandfather or yeah. someone get their nipple suckled. It just it does not yeah. feel right. I do not want to see my grandfather's pepperonis. <laughs> no, uh. man. No, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, last note, and this is again something you mentioned. It just feels like everyone's in on the hustle, right? Everyone is hustling. Everyone's got an angle. Um, so here it is, right? So anyway, those are all my notes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, and then like we said, I mean, I, it, the film pays off. So if you want to check it out, uh, I think it's worth people checking out. I really do. Um, but I just want to warn people that again, I'm not leading you down the cow slaughter highway. Uh, you know, I just, I don't think it's a spoiler to say it, but these guys are rumblers or rustlers and they, they do pay for things with red meat. But are they dabblers? They use a chainsaw. They don't show it in detail, but it obviously, whenever you start a chainsaw in a movie, your mind goes places, right? Yep. It always does. Doesn't matter. If Toby Hooper's child told us anything, when you hear a chainsaw, bad things will happen. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, I'm going to go make a break. I'm going to go, I was going to go with the Pong scene. I really like that scene a lot, but now that I think about it more and more, I really like the Joe Spinell, Sam Waterston scene. Yep. There's a lot of great moments in here, though. There's that totally offbeat scene with Slim Pickens talking about his dream. <laughs> He's really good in the film, right? Like for yeah. a guy that, that was sort of a conventional cowboy and did a lot of really iconic westerns, um, He's really out on the joke, and he, he he shows a side that we don't get to see very often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of my favorite character actors of all time because he could – it just – everything seemed easy to him. It just seemed like – for me, anyway, it just seemed like he could ease into a movie and he could play serious, he could play funny, he could play both within two minutes of each other. And you, you always bought it. It's something in his delivery or his uniqueness as just an individual. I mean, he's a very unique person, so – um, great movie history there. Uh, MVT. Ooh, man, this is kind of a tough one uh, because there's a lot of great things about this movie. Um, but I'm going to give this one to Perry. Um, I am not positive if this is my favorite Frank Perry film, but it's probably in the top three. It has to be. Um, I love The Swimmer a lot. Oh, I love the swimmer, man. And, ah. and and I love Mommy Dearest for what it is. Yeah. And there's a lot of other stuff of his I like a lot. Um, but this one, it really has aged well. Um, it was fun to go back and revisit this. I, again, I hadn't watched it in over a decade. Well, I haven't watched it since we've been doing the show. So I haven't watched it in at least, well, this will be 14 years this year. So a decade and a half almost. So I don't know when the last time I saw it was, but... Again, it's on Tubi. People should check it out. I give this an 8 out of 10. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a very solid. It's a GGTMC classic. I think it has some pacing issues, and I think it might, at times, it kind of gets on my nerves with the way that everybody, it's a personal peccadillo, but the way everybody's kind of always trying to one-up each other in some way. It gets, it, they go to the well a lot, and it yeah. works, but they go to the well a lot. So after a while, it's like, okay, yeah, we get it. We get it. Everyone's yeah. in on it. Yeah, right. it's like, can we move forward now, please? Because, you know, I don't know. It's a weird thing. I don't want to say anymore because I'm afraid I will uh, give it away. So, But, uh, yeah, no, this is a great film. Check it out.
Nice. Okay. Uh, make a break. Lockstep with my guy, my fellow Arby's hat wearer. Uh, the Spinel <laughs> Waterston scene, I think it's such a, a poignant, tender scene. It's a side of Spinel we very rarely get to see. And it makes us wonder um, what could have been, right? Spinel uh-huh, died yeah. young. It's a shame. He was just a you know, great actor, man. Great actor. So much range. Uh, but that scene's just tender and and just heartbreaking. Uh, MVT, I could go with Perry. I think Perry is a filmmaker that I know Emily, our good friend in um, in B Town and in, in Maryland, the great state of Maryland, is a big fan of his. Mm-hmm. I think he's got a wonderfully diverse filmography. If you haven't seen a lot of his stuff, hopefully our reviews encourage you to want to check it out. His filmography and this film specifically, but my MVT is the chemistry with Waterston Bridges. I just think that it's such an easy comfortable chemistry there. I could go with the chemistry with the cast, frankly. They all play off each other pretty well. They all have a, a really good coherent, kind of cohesive energy and understanding of what Perry and the writers were going for. Yeah. But Watterson and Bridges, man, they're they're just they're buddies and it feels like it. It feels great. Uh, my score is is very, very close to yours. It's just slightly, slightly below. It's a seven point seven five. I think this is just a rock solid film, man. It feels like one that uh, like you said, I'd like to put our stamp on it and say, you know, this is a GGTMC film, and like we we rep for this one. Um, it does have some pacing issues, as some films of the time did, but that shouldn't deter anyone from seeing it because there's, there's a lot uh, to be had and enjoyed uh, with this one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so that's the show this week. A little Rancho Deluxe action. Check it out um, next week. I think I have something special planned. We're gonna try something next week. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I don't want to announce it again in case things fall through, in case plans fall through. Um, so I don't think anybody, you know, we're only doing one film shows and most of the time we can kind of announce what we're doing anyway. So, uh, I think if we pull it off though, I think you guys are really going to like what we got coming up for the next couple of weeks. Uh, I think you'll, let's just say if it works out, we're covering two films that we should have covered 14 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing. We haven't covered them. And yep. we have decided to finally break the seal on that and make it happen. And uh, hopefully we'll have some guests. So won't say anything yet. Don't want to don't ruin the party. We'll see what happens. Okay. Uh, as always, we love you guys. Any voicemails or anything. Actually, I did have a voicemail from Walt, but I'm sorry, Walt. I totally forgot. We got off to kind of a, a weird start tonight. I'll play it next week. My apologies in advance. Um, I'm pretty sure I had one anyway. But either way, if I didn't, Walt, I apologize. We'll get to it next week. Um, I don't really have anything else to say, but uh, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.
Thank you.